Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. If your heartbeat is too slow or too fast or irregular, you might be referred to see an electrophysiologist. Today, we'll talk about what to expect at an electrophysiology appointment with Dr. Kieran Devaraj. He's a cardiologist at Upstate who specializes in electrophysiology. Welcome to The Informed Patient, Dr. Devaraj. Thanks for having me. I'd first like to ask you to explain the background of an electrophysiologist. You're all medical doctors who specialize in cardiology, and then you subspecialized in electrophysiology. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Usually an adult cardiologist will train in adult medicine or a pediatric cardiologist will train in pediatric medicine, followed by subspecialty training in cardiology. And those who have an interest in heart rhythm problems will then go on and do additional subspecialty training in what we call clinical cardiac electrophysiology, which means that we treat heart rhythm problems for patients. And our research colleagues are called uh, basic science electrophysiologists. They do more experimentation and cell-based research and molecular research. So my full title is an adult clinical cardiac electrophysiologist, which is a bit of a mouthful for most patients. It is. Well, when someone's doctor, their primary care provider, flags an irregular or a fast or a slow heartbeat and says they need to see an electrophysiologist, how would you advise that person to prepare for that visit? Sure. So most of my referrals come from patients who already have, at a minimum, a primary doctor, but even a cardiologist. So a lot of these patients have already had some form of testing. They might have had an electrocardiogram to look at, which is a basic test that a lot of patients are offered by their cardiologist or by their primary doctor. They may be offered a heart rhythm monitoring, such as a Holter monitor that they wear for a few days to catch heart rhythm problems, or vent monitors, which are longer heart rhythm monitors that can be worn for weeks at a time. And then they may get other testing too before they come to see me. They may get things like an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart, or a stress test to look for any signs of underlying coronary artery disease or heart rhythm problems. So would a person be referred to someone like you if those tests that they've already undergone don't offer an answer? I'm imagining that it might be a little bit scary to be told, well, you know, we've gotten all these tests and now we need you to go see this other specialist. If anything, it's the other way around. If the testing is abnormal, if it's not normal, so if it sh shows signs of a heart rhythm problem, then they'll typically see me. But if someone's having palpitations, but the arrhythmia testing is actually reassuring, so there's no signs of a heart rhythm problem on a ultra monitor or an event monitor, uh, they're less likely to be referred. There are non-cardiac reasons why someone can have palpitations or racing heart rate. Common things include things like thyroid problems or anemia or anxiety. So typically that's why when a patient sees their primary doctor for those kinds of symptoms, they won't just be looking for heart problems, but they can also look for other problems too. So what is the first visit with you typically like? It depends, partly because, as I stated earlier, a lot of patients already have to some degree been diagnosed before they see me, whether through their primary doctor or through their cardiologist. They've often already had testing like the electrocardiogram or the Holter monitor or the echocardiogram. Usually at that point, a lot of information's already been gathered. And 
So what I try to focus on for people who already have a diagnosed heart rhythm problem is to go over their symptoms and essentially to explain people what's going on, how worried they should be about that problem and what are next steps versus for people who don't have a diagnosed heart problem, like say they have a symptom, but they don't have any testing confirming a heart rhythm problem. Then we talk more about further testing. Of the dangerous heart rhythms that people may be walking around with, which ones require treatment most urgently? The urgent ones are usually people are headed to the hospital already. So the most common cause of dangerous heart rhythm problems is coronary artery disease in the U.S. in adults. The incidence of coronary artery disease is 6 to 7% in the United States. And if left untreated, coronary artery disease can then lead to dangerous heart rhythm problems like ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillation. And those are somewhat common reasons why people end up in the hospital due to dangerous heart rhythm problems as a result of heart attacks and untreated coronary artery disease. So I see patients like that on a semi-regular basis. And then other common heart rhythm problems like atrial fibrillation or SVT, those are a little bit more variable because you were talking about how serious these things are. Some patients with atrial fibrillation, we see them in the office. Some patients with severe symptoms get admitted to the hospital. It depends a little bit on the particular patient. It sounds like there's quite a range. There is, yes. The same heart rhythm problem can present very differently from patient to patient, which is why I'm being a little bit vague intentionally. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Kieran Devaraj, the cardiologist who specializes in electrophysiology at Upstate. If someone's heart rate is too slow, what might concern you and what types of things would you be looking for? Sure. First, I, I want to state that normal is a loaded term when it comes to heart rate, as it is for a lot of other medical measurements, because what's normal for one person might actually be not normal for another person. Like, for instance, a newborn baby, their resting heart rate could easily be 160 beats a minute, which for an adult is obviously very different. And for a professional athlete, their resting heart rate may be 50 beats a minute or even 45 beats a minute, which would be considered too slow for a normal adult, but would actually be considered entirely appropriate for a highly trained athlete. So with that in mind, I mean, technically the lower limit of normal for heart rate is 60, but as I just stated, it's considered acceptable for people to have heart rates in the 50s, particularly if they are athletes or if they have an underlying medical problem that might make their heart rate a little bit slow. Typically, if people have heart rates in the 40s, that's considered somewhat more unusual. But even then, some athletes do have heart rates in the 40s. And then in terms of symptoms, uh, things to look out for would be things like fainting, passing out, having lightheaded spells. Those are signs that the slow heart rates are actually not allowing enough blood to reach the brain and therefore affecting cognition. Or if you generally just feel tired and unable to have enough energy to do normal things like walk up flights of stairs and do normal activities of daily living, that's a sign that slow heart rates could be affecting your physical activity. And that's usually confirmed by things like an electrocardiogram to look at your resting heart rate a Holter monitor to see what your heart rate ranges during an entire day, 
and then sometimes even a stress test to see what your heart rate does both at rest and with exercise. Is it normal for a person's heart rate to become slower as they age and maybe they're not as active as they used to be or maybe they do have some heart disease? Is it normal for the heart to kind of slow down? Yes, in, in a word. So your natural pacemaker is called your sinus node. And that typically governs your heart rate in conjunction with your brain and your brainstem and a certain part of your nervous system, which is called your autonomic nervous system. And those heart rates governed by your natural pacemaker and your brain, those do actually slow down with age. So typically, people develop what's called sinus node dysfunction or slowing of their natural pacemaker as they get older. It doesn't happen to everyone. But that's why it's the most common ages for pacemaker implantation are older adults in their 70s and 80s due to age-related sinus node dysfunction. And then secondly, heart block or AV block is where the electrical system of the heart becomes aged and calcified. And the conduction system, the wires that control signals inside the heart can sometimes fail and cause some slowing of the heart rate. And that also is most commonly in people in their 70s and 80s. I know it varies from person to person, but what about rhythms? Do you see rhythms that are too fast, a person whose heart is just beating too fast constantly? Yeah, the two most common scenarios for that are supraventricular tachycardia, which is often abbreviated down to SVT, and then atrial fibrillation. SVT is not just one heart rhythm problem. It's actually a family of different regular fast heart rhythm problems. SVTs, statistically speaking, most of them are due to some kind of abnormal loop or reentrant circuit, as we like to call it, inside the heart. And that endless loop can allow the heart rate to go too fast. And whether that's uh, 130 or 140 beats a minute, or sometimes even as fast as 250 beats a minute, that can cause someone palpitations and racing heart rate. And while that sounds scary, SVT is actually considered a benign heart rhythm problem. It doesn't cause heart attack or stroke or heart damage. And people are usually treated for their symptoms. Versus another rapid heart rhythm problem, which is called atrial fibrillation. That's more common as people get older. That typically happens to people in their 60s and 70s and 80s. The typical incidence starts to be about 10% in people in their 60s. And that's associated with common things like high blood pressure and being overweight and snoring and sleep apnea and a variety of different heart and lung problems. And atrial fibrillation is more medically serious because that's actually associated with a risk of stroke. And the risk of stroke is defined based on other clinical risk factors. If someone comes to you with an irregular heart rhythm or it's too fast or it's too slow, how do you determine whether that is caused by a medication that they're taking? That's a great question. It mainly comes down to figuring out the timeline of symptoms. Most commonly, if they started a medicine recently, whether it was a few weeks ago or a few months ago, and then the patient may not have connected it for themselves that their symptoms started after the medication was given. And then we walk through those kinds of timelines. And that's most common with things like antidepressants can cause slower, fast heart rates. Some other psychiatric medications can do that. Oral contraceptives are a common reason why people can uh, feel racing heart rates. Honestly, I see all kinds of medication side effects 
<laughs> but I happen to diagnose in daily practice. You mentioned the word pacemaker when we were talking about the slow heart rhythms. Are pacemakers yes. only for when the heart's too slow or are they sometimes used if the heart's too fast? Yeah, the purpose of a pacemaker, it's a medical device that's implanted in the body. And typically there's at least one or more wires which are implanted inside the heart to regulate the heart rate to prevent it from being too slow. So in that sense, the pacemaker is primarily a treatment for slow heart rhythm problems. The main reason why it would be offered to someone with a fast heart rhythm problem is that if they're having a fast heart rhythm problem and for some reason they can't get the right medicines they need to slow their heart rate down, so they need a pacemaker to prevent any slow heart rates and to allow them better medical therapy. But yes, the pacemakers mostly for people with slow heart rhythm problems. So do electrophysiologists install the pacemakers? Yeah, historically, well, I mean, pacemakers have been around now for almost 50 years. When they originally came out, they were typically implanted by open heart surgery. So a lot of the first pacemakers were implanted by surgeons. And that slowly evolved. I started to be more cardiologists who were doing them. And then my field, cardiac electrophysiology, is actually relatively young. You know, it was essentially born by the fact that these pacemaker systems became more complicated and we were learning about all of these different heart rhythm problems and they require more specialized treatment. So that's how my field was born in the last 30, 40 years. How long does a pacemaker last if you install one for someone today? Do they last many years or do you have to change batteries? There's two components to a pacemaker system. There's the actual pacemaker itself which houses the electronics and the battery for the device. And then there are the pacemaker wires, which are implanted in the body permanently. Now, the typical lifespan for a pacemaker is eight to 12 years, and that's governed by the battery life. And by contrast, there's a different kind of device that we implant that's called an implanted cardioverter defibrillator. The battery life on those devices is a little bit lower, more like five to 10 years. And then the wires that go with the pacemaker, the lifespan of those devices is a little bit more variable. The pacemaker wires can break down over time, which is rare. I tell people it happens about 1% to 2% per decade at first. The typical pacemaker wires can last 20, 30 years. And that's partly based on just most of the modern pacemaker wires have only been around for 20, 30 years. <laughs> So while someone has a pacemaker, they continue to have checkups with you as long as they have the pacemaker? Yes. Usually if you have a pacemaker, you have a cardiologist or a cardiac electrophysiologist who has to monitor the device. The best analogy that I give to patients is that it's like owning a car. You have to take it in for regular maintenance. So checkups to make sure that it's working properly. And then the service is essentially replacing the battery. As I said, 8 to 12 years for pacemakers and 5 to 10 years for defibrillators. This has been very interesting. I appreciate you making time for this interview, Dr. Devaraj. It was great to be here. Thanks for having me. My guest has been Dr. Kieran Devaraj, the cardiologist specializing in electrophysiology at Upstate. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.